want you to take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be uh, reading verse 19 through 24 in just a moment. We've been in this series, Revolutionary Love, looking at the Sermon on the Mount, God's inside-out, upside-down pattern to save this world through revolutionary love in Jesus Christ. Some of you say, I'm getting a little bit tired of this series. It's about one too many weeks long. I'm going to have you take that up with Jesus because the Sermon on the Mount must be too long or something. I, I don't know. But we don't want to miss what Jesus has for us today in this passage of Scripture. It was a number of years ago now I uh, made the decision that it was time to paint the kitchen. So uh, I got a five-gallon bucket of paint, and uh, it made its way all the way to the garage and sat there for a long time. I had one reminder after another reminder, it's time to paint the garage for my wife, Carrie, and uh, I didn't receive the hint fast enough for her liking, and so she said, hey, I've got a couple days off of school, there's three days off of school coming up, I am going to paint the kitchen on my vacation time, on my time off. I learned an important lesson early on in our marriage, that if I waited long enough, then maybe Carrie would do that job. Wait, no, that's not a good thing to learn. But she picked that up, and, and, and I wasn't astute enough yet to see that that would have been my cue to say, well, I'll help you, but she continued to paint the kitchen. I came home from work that first day when she had been painting, and I noticed that something didn't look right. It just was off. But as I said, I wasn't helping, and I was at least wise enough to know that if you're not going to help, then don't criticize what's going on. Just keep moving on. The next day came, and she painted, and then the third day came. Oh, she just walked in. Pray for me, church. (laughs) The third day came, and she was painting. And I came in, and I could tell that there was trouble in the home. And Carrie said, it's all wasted. My three days are wasted. She said the paint was not mixed right, and and there's all these different shades of color across the kitchen, and and it doesn't match, and, and I don't know what to do. I just have to start all over. All three days are wasted. Now, at this moment, it dawned on me that I could say, well, I saw that two days ago, but I'm not even going to admit to that. I don't know if you've had a project or something that you were involved in or you worked on and it just came to the end and you had nothing to show for it. It it was wasted. All your efforts were gone. Everything you put into it were useless. Today, that reminds me of this passage of scripture and what Jesus has for us this day. But I want you to imagine with me something far greater than just a loss of three vacation days and effort in painting. But I want you in your mind's eye to imagine that you get to the end of your life, you're standing before God Almighty, and you see the videotape of your life played before you, and you have a pit in your stomach, and despair comes over you, and you see everything that you invested in, what you centered yourself on, was worthless. And you have that feeling inside of you that wants to cry out, it's all wasted, it's worth nothing, I have nothing to show for it. Aren't you so encouraged you came to church today? (laughs) Let's look at God's Word this morning in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, 
How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus' point of his text there, and it's the point that he has for us today, is we cannot afford to miss what Jesus is saying. If we're not careful, we will waste our life. If we're not careful, you'll get to the end, and it won't just be some effort. It'll be all of your effort. Everything you centered yourself on will be completely wasted. Now, if I was a a astute enough husband, I would have... Notice it would have been much better to help my wife paint the kitchen. Yes. It would have been even better than that. After missing it, to see that something went wrong, to stop and say, Honey, let's mix the paint. Let's get it right. But church, I'm convinced today that we look at a passage of Scripture like this and we say, Well, I've been in church my whole life, or I've known God my whole life, and, and, and surely I'm not in danger of losing everything and and it all being for nothing church i'm afraid that we can get so accustomed to what god is doing that we miss him somewhere along the line we get off track and we lose god in the midst of church we lose the hope in the midst of trying to do things for the one who gives us hope if we're not careful we can waste our life now jesus begins by giving us three illustrations to get his point across Illustration of a treasure and one of our eyes and one of a servant. To help us unpack that today, I want us to look at three questions. But before we do that, I'm reminded of a story that pastor and theologian George W. Truett shared from his life experience. Pastor Truett was invited to go to this wealthy Texan's house for a meal. The wealthy Texan said, Pastor, I want you to come to my house and see everything that I have acquired. The pastor went to this mansion of a house and had a beautiful meal. And during the meal, this homeowner talked about how when he first came there, he had no possessions. He had no land. He had no respect. And everything he was about to see, he had earned on his own. After a great meal, he got a tour of the house and then was led outside. And they walked up to the top of a hill where they could see all the property. That wealthy Texan took Pastor Truett by the arm and pointed him to the north. And he said, see all that land out there? See all of it? See all those oil wells? All of that is mine. He took them by the arm and turned them back to the south, and he said, See all those fields out there? All that land is mine. All those crops are mine. With confidence and swagger, he turned to the right, and he pointed to another big section of land, and he said, Now see all that land and all that cattle out there? All of that is mine. And finally, he turned to the left, and he said, See that forest? It's not mine yet. But I'm working on it. Pastor Truett tried to get a word in edgewise, put his hand on the Texan's shoulder, and he pointed to the sky and he said, but how much do you have up there? As the Texan dropped his head, he said, I didn't really think about it like that. I mean, he was wanting to be affirmed for all of his efforts, but he didn't think about what would last forever. Pastor Truett could have shared the same passage of Scripture that we're looking at today. He could have asked that Texan the same question that Jesus asked the disciples a long time ago and the question that Jesus is asking us today, and that question is this, where is your treasure? Now, in verse 19, this text literally reads, 
do not treasure up for yourselves treasures. Don't treasure up treasures. It's a mental picture of stockpiling. Don't stockpile treasures here on earth. You remember back a a bunch of years ago now, I guess, the Y2K whole scare thing? And computers weren't going to work and uh, everything was going to fall apart. And so we were told to stockpile stuff. Did you stockpile anything? I got water and I got batteries and I got Pop-Tarts. I don't know why Pop-Tarts are going to help me, but I was going to make it with Pop-Tarts. And then when it was over, it just was stuff. Jesus is not saying don't stockpile. This is not a message to say don't hoard hoarders out there. This is good news for you. He says hoard, but hoard the right things. Stockpile the right things things. Jesus calls us to stop investing our lives in temporary possessions, pursuits, and achievements. He said, just stop. Now, when we look at this, there there may be a couple angles that we don't see all the time. We can stockpile treasures here on earth, and it's not always material. You may be stockpiling people's opinion of you. You can begin to live for the praise of men, and you can begin to Cherish so much what people think of you, how they see you, how they respect you, your reputation, that your confidence is in what other people think about you. Your confidence is in the things that they say or don't say about you. Jesus says that fleeting thought will be gone and worthless. Don't stockpile what people think about you. It may be the Category of material possessions. You had a house at one point, but it met your needs, but it's time to upgrade. We need a bigger house and a better house. We had a kitchen, and it had all the things in the kitchen, but now you need to remodel that kitchen, and you need a bigger kitchen to do more kitchen stuff in. Or you have a TV, but it's time for, you want a better TV, a a, a bigger TV, a brighter TV. You've got a cell phone that works, but in September there's another one coming out, a new model, and I need to get, I need to get the, the next latest thing. It's, I've got to have more. I need to get more stuff. Here Jesus is not teaching a, against owning things or even getting things. He's saying when you put your confidence, when you stockpile, when you treasure up treasures in your heart from things that are here on earth, you're going to waste your life. Another one I think that we sometimes overlook, say, well, I don't really care what people think about me. I'm not really that into material possessions. But we begin to treasure up things in our hearts, stockpile our achievements. We work our whole life in the vein of these achievements. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to get that degree. I'm going to get the best interview possible. I'm going to work for the best company. I'm going to work myself up that ladder in that company. I'm going to do so good. I'm going to make a name for myself there. And I'm going to achieve success in that company. And then pretty soon that's not enough. And I need to make a dent in the business community of that area. Now I want to be known in more than just my company. And and one success after another begins to be the focus of what I stockpile. Jesus says, don't lose your whole life. Now, is Jesus saying that these things that I'm listing are evil and of themselves? Praise from people and and relationships that we value and success at job or in education? Of course not. They're not evil in and of themselves. But Jesus is saying, don't place your weight, your confidence in them. 
Hold them loosely. They won't last. They'll be gone before you know it. I uh, bought a computer a, a number of years ago. It's not real light anymore. You too could have a computer like this for $800. It, it's such a nice one. It's got five gig hard drive. Now, if you're not a computer person, it's some for about 500 gigs right now, so it doesn't have a whole lot of hard drive. It's got 256 megabytes of RAM. Some of you are looking at me like, I don't even know what that is. You've lost me. It just doesn't have a whole lot in there. And it has Windows ME on it. You know, the one thing that aggravates me about computers is, is you can pay a lot of money for one, but just wait a few months, a few years, and it's worthless. It's a boat anchor. What I paid $800 for, I could not pay you 8 bucks to use this every day for a week. You wouldn't do it. You wouldn't take it. Now, now there's nothing wrong with buying a computer. There's nothing wrong with upgrading something. But when you base your life on a market that is so temporal and it moves so fast and it's not solid, it's silly. And we begin to stockpile stuff like this and we hang on to things in life and if we would just look and see, there's not much value in them anymore. We begin to drag them along with us. And Jesus is screaming out to us, you're going to miss it. You're going to waste your life. Matthew 6.21 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Scripture, when it says heart, it's not just talking about the organ of our body that pumps blood. Though I guess that's true. It's talking about the center of our being. Where life springs from. Where love comes out of. Jesus is saying, when you stockpile things here on earth, show me your stockpile and I'll show you the center of your being. Show me your stockpile and I'll show you the wellspring that you're trying to draw life from. Show me what you stockpiled and I'll show you what you love. What you love is what you devote yourself to. What you devote yourself to is what you worship. And Jesus is saying, be careful what you stockpile. Deuteronomy 6.5 Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with the center of your being, with the wellspring of life. Let your life be centered on Jesus. Let it be centered on something eternal, not something that is temporal. Where are you this morning? Where do you see your stockpile? Well, why don't you just think about your thoughts? Where do you spend most of your time mentally? Well, what do you think about the most? Do you think about work? Do you think about your family? Do you think about your kids the most? Do you think about what you should think about the most? What are you thinking about? If you did an audit of your thoughts, what would it reveal? What captures your mind? Look at how you spend your time. It'll tell you where your heart is. Now, for most of us, we spend the majority of our time at work. Whether you work in the office or you work out in the field or you work at home as a homemaker, you spend most of your time probably at work of some kind. Why do you work? You say, Brady, that is the dumbest question ever. I've got bills. I need to earn a living. This is not helpful to me. Why do you ask these dumb questions? No, I would think about it. Why do you work? 
Do you just go to work so you can get money, so you can pay a bill, so you can go to work, so you can get more money to pay another bill? Do you just stay home with the kids because you've crunched the calculator and it makes more economic sense for you to stay at home than to get a job and then to pay for childcare? Why do you do what you do? Or is there another reason that maybe you go to work because God has gifted you to use your gifts out in the workplace? Maybe you go to work so you can be an encouragement to the other Christians in that company and bless them with your presence. Or better yet, maybe you go to work so you can give a reason for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ with someone who doesn't know Jesus. Maybe you go to work to serve your employer the way you serve God. Maybe you go to work to serve your employees the way that you serve God. Maybe you serve the family at home in a way to say, God, I want to serve them the way I am called to serve you. Jesus has created something in you with your time, and how do you invest it? You know, parents, we teach our kids a lot about how to invest time. You've said these phrases, they're coming out in our house now. Do your homework first. Spend time on homework before you go out and play. Make sure we're working on our grades. Spend time there. You've probably had the conversations of, I paid for those lessons in that instrument, now you practice that instrument. And you're going to like it. You practice that clarinet. You practice that piano. You practice that guitar. I don't really care if you practice the drums. We can put those away. (laughs) But you put in the time because practice makes perfect. And you need to learn how to invest your time for this instrument. Son, daughter, I want you to prepare for that big game. There is a scholarship awaiting you. You get ready for that big game. You invest some time. And nothing is, is evil in and of itself in those categories. But how many times do we find ourselves as parents saying, Family, tonight we're going to invest some quality time in eternal things. We're going to pray together. We're going to study God's Word together. We're going to go to the park on purpose to see if God gives us divine appointment to meet somebody who may need help. We're going to spend time in the living room with the TV off tonight, and we're going to do God sightings together, and we're going to ask each other, how did God show up at school? How did he show up at work? How have you seen him? How much investment do we teach our kids to make in eternal things? It may not just be about your thoughts or your time, but where are you investing your treasure? Uh, The obvious here is in the scriptural teaching about tithing to the storehouse. And that's biblical that we give a 10% tithe to the local church where we are drawing nourishment and spiritual food from. But I think for a lot of us, we've missed what sacrificial giving is all about. And we say, God, 10% for you, 90% for me. What would it look like if you obeyed God with the 10% and the 90%? What would it look like if if you would say, God, I, I want to stockpile things in heaven even with my 90%. Maybe you pray about that purchase, not that you don't make it, but you begin to think, how could I leverage this to reach somebody with Christ? Could I use that boat to reach my neighbor? Could I use this house to entertain in the neighborhood? Could I help bless somebody to pay some of their bills? Could I reach out to them? Could we leave a little bit of margin that we could bless people at all possible when we see that? Jesus is saying, if you're not careful, you'll get to the end of your life and you will miss it. And Jesus moves on, so let's do the same. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, then your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are bad, then your whole body will be full 
of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The question this morning is, how is your vision? Not just where is your treasure, what are you stockpiling, but how is your vision? Jesus uses this physical truth to teach a eternal truth. It's not that compound, it's not that crazy. If your eyes are open and your eyes are healthy and you see light, then you can walk in the light. If you close your eyes and you can't see anything, or if your eyes are not healthy and you cannot see anything, when you walk, you will walk in darkness. He says it's the same way with you. What is your vision like? Do you see the light of Jesus Christ? Are you walking in the light that you see, or are you walking in darkness? I was in seminary, and it was a December morning, and the rain from the night before had turned to ice, and I woke up, and I was late. And I had been late to this class one too many times, and the outcome was not going to be good. And so I rushed out there, and I was so overjoyed to see my windshield covered with an inch of ice. I was not quoting the scripture I did this morning. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I was not very excited. I opened the car door, and I looked for the ice scraper, and it was gone. And immediately I thought, who took my ice scraper? I didn't take time to go into the garage and look for another one. I looked for another tool close by, and I found a CD case, and I went out and began to scrape away at the windshield. And after a lot of work, I just got about a spot this big right on the driver's side of the window. I didn't want to take the time to let the car heat up and defrost the windshield. I was already late. And then it dawned on me, I can technically see. I have driven this path hundreds of times. I know where I'm going. The weather's bad. There's not that many people out there. I can do this. I have watched the road every day, year after year. I know what it looks like. I know where the turns are. I can do this. So I got in the car and I backed up and quickly realized I did not scrape anything on the back windshield. So you back up by sound. Have you ever done that? It's not a good idea. (laughs) I didn't really hear anything, so it must be clear. Then I pulled out. And on my first right turn, on a street that I've been many, many times before, I came across something that I guess I had seen before, but I didn't realize. I knew there was a curb on the street, but I had no idea how big the curb was. I was taking the turn too quick. My tire hit the curb, and it popped the tire. I was not only late, I didn't even make it to class. What I had intended as a plan to save me time cost me so much more. Jesus is saying, how is your vision If your eyes are healthy and if it's fixed on the light of Jesus Christ, you can walk in the light. But let's be honest. The light of yesterday is not intended to help you see today. I could technically see, but you know what? It's that peripheral vision that gets you in trouble. Most accidents and wrecks happen with a lack of attention or a lack of ability to see what's on the peripheral. This is where Satan is going to crawl in. It's not that you've never seen the light of Christ, most likely. It's not that you haven't seen him work in your life, but for whatever reason, you're not locked in on the light of Jesus. And and you're looking at Jesus and something else. And and pretty soon, you can see Jesus in your peripheral vision, but but you can't see the whole picture. Jesus is saying, if you're not careful, you'll lose your whole life. Look at your vision. 
Sometimes we want to argue with God, but God, I can handle this area of my life. It's kind of like autopilot. I've been here before. God, you don't really know a lot about my occupation. I mean, I have to do some things. I appreciate you helping me with heaven, hell, sin, the big things, but, but this is the business deal. I've got to take care of this, God. And our vision is blurred because we're not fixed just on Jesus. The third question Jesus has for us today is who are you serving? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, it says this, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Maybe your translation says you cannot serve both God and mammon. A a, a literal, literal translation is, is possessions or stuff. I like that, the official stuff. You can't serve God and stuff. You cannot serve God and blank. You fill it in. Now, church, I want to confess that I think a lot of times this is an area we struggle that we don't want to acknowledge. It's not that we don't want Jesus to be our master. We do. Lord, you're my master. You're my main master. Heaven, hell, big sin, you're my master. But Monday through Friday, you kind of do the co-master thing. I mean, you've not met my boss. He's pretty demanding. Kind of got to, you know... Really work to focus on what he or she wants. You haven't met my spouse, God, and, and, and the needs that they have. And, and, and God, you're my master, but, you know, I mean, it's a good thing to love your spouse. And so, I, you know, hopefully you'll understand. Jesus says, no. You cannot serve both God and whatever. You have to have one master. This was the uh, children of Israel's problem in the Old Testament. It was the main problem they had. They loved to serve the Lord. But they wanted to keep a few idols on the side. They wanted to keep a few things to remember from the old days. Now, how many times in Scripture do we see God go to the people of Israel and say, Israel, I'm so proud of you guys. You had like all these idols and you got rid of most of them and and you've been kind of living for me and and the couple that you hung on to, you just put them in the corner and you put me in the center and I'm going to overlook that. God says, get rid of it all. You cannot serve me and something else. Who are you serving? Jesus is asking. Jesus calls us to repent from serving two masters because, don't miss this, it destroys our devotion to God. The enemy wants to get you to buy into this truth, but at a lesser level. You know, if I uh, serve God and something else, it's going to really affect my relationship. It's going to kind of cloud it. I'm not going to hear God very well. And, And it says you'll destroy your relationship. You keep moving down a path where where you, you, you look at Jesus and something else, and you're going to have a collision, and that collision is going to lead in death, and one after another after another, you'll find yourself at the end of your life, and you go, it was worthless. Now, the intent of Jesus' message today is not to give us a spanking. I don't believe that God is saying, I want to beat up on my kids today. I can't wait to tell them how messed up they are. Jesus is saying, hey, hey, something didn't look right in this room. I guess I could wait to the end of your life and then just say, you kind of wasted it and, 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 and it's all mixed and not matching. He says, just stop. And make sure that you know what you're living for. And in closing, how can we do this? 
I think so many times we stop here and we see a truth and we believe that truth. And we say, okay, God, I, I, I want to have my treasure in eternal things and I want to have my vision fixed on you and I want to make sure that I'm serving you, God, but how do I do that? In rapid fire, here are three things that I believe that God wants to give us as tools today. First, an understanding a single one power in our life is to seek one treasure. To stockpile in one area. How do we do that? It's to sidestep the temporal and stockpile the eternal. It's, it's when you, you sidestep the temporary things that come at you and you stockpile the eternal. That's kind of fun to do. You should try that. You, you sidestep and you stockpile. That's not dancing. Don't tell anybody that. It's just it's a, it's a motion. Choreography. When we sidestep the temporal things, it's not that those things coming at us or around us are so evil, but we're learning to not hang on to them and let them go quickly, but we stockpile, we hang on to the eternal. You say, okay, that helps me a little bit, but I, I, I'm still not getting it. How do I do it? I'm not trying to be obtuse this morning. I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, but, but you ask, so I'll tell you. Read this book. Now, now, don't just memorize it. Memorize is good. Read it and do what it says. And obey, Joe. That's right. Read it and do what it says and obey. You know what? If we would look at how full it is of instruction after instruction on how to sidestep the temporary things and stockpile the eternal, we may take this a little bit more seriously. Sometimes we worship this and say, if I memorize it, therefore I must earn points with you, God. No! Memorize it. Write it on your hearts so you know how to live, so you know how to relate to me, so you see me and you recognize me around you. That's why you read it. Jesus is calling out to us today. Did you look at Matthew 5, 11? You are persecuted for your righteousness and the things of me. Then you'll receive a word in heaven. It's not a call to not stockpile. You want to know how to stockpile a good investment? Read Matthew 5.11. Don't be surprised when people say all kinds of junk about you because you're living for Jesus. Just sidestep that and hang on to it and go, God, we made a deposit in heaven. Not because he wants you to be a glutton for punishment, because he's promised you this is what will happen when you're living strong for me. Matthew 6, 3-4, we talked about it last week. Don't give because of who's there or who's not there. Give because I have given to you. Give because I have put this in your heart. These are the things that I reward in heaven. Another way that we sidestep the temporal and stockpile the eternal is we say, God, show me. Pray about it. The second key area is to seek one vision. That is to lock your eyes on the light of Jesus Christ. You cannot fix your eyes on Jesus and stuff at the same time. You can't look at Jesus and something else. You're going to have to look at the peripheral of something. Lock your eyes on Jesus. You say, well, how do I do that? It was a couple years ago that um, Carrie decided to uh, forfeit the ranks of driving a cool car and join the ranks of soccer mom, and she wanted a minivan. So we went out and we got a minivan. And I had no idea how many gazillion silver Honda Odyssey minivans there are in the world. 
Until one day I went out and I got in the van and I put my key in the ignition and it wouldn't turn. Because I was in somebody else's van. But when I trained my eyes to look for our van, I found them everywhere. Parking lots across this country are littered with way too many silver Honda Odyssey minivans. That same principle is so true when we're learning how to lock our eyes on Jesus. Take the last seven days and look. Where did you see God move? Not like what so impressed you that you you just can't help it. No, look. Search. Go on a God hunt. God that, that may be you. That, that sounded like you. That smelled like you. That, that looks like you in my life or the life of someone around me. You say, well, Pastor, I'm trying that, but it's, it's hard. You know why? Because you're only working with your eyes. When you train your eyes to see the things of Jesus, you'll also have to train your mouth. When you see God move, don't be quiet. Tell everyone that you can find what you saw. It's amazing to me the things that we will fill Facebook with. It's amazing to me the things that we'll fill our conversation with. And they're not evil in and of themselves, but how many times are you caught talking about what God did? Is it because God's not moving or you're not paying attention? God says, keep your eyes fixed on me and you won't waste your life. And the final way I think we can do this is to seek one master. Now, I really did try to say this more politely, and I don't know how. I really tried to work up a way to say this, and it wouldn't sound so offensive, but I didn't know how, so I guess I want you to forgive me, but maybe not really. Serve one master. How? You've got to get off the fence and get on your face before God. When you have one foot squarely put in the kingdom of God and the things of God, and then you have one foot that is in your own thoughts or in the security of yourself, you're straddling the fence. And you're not just in danger of getting splinters, and that would be a very bad thing, but it's worse than that. You're in danger of losing your life, wasting everything. You see, it it didn't start out this way, most likely. You probably were here. And as one friend told me after first service, he said, Pastor, when you said that, it reminded me. I was on the dock, and I had one foot on the dock, and I had another foot on the boat. But the boat began to move, and and pretty soon, it was bad. (laughs) Jesus says, Church, I don't want you to get to the end of your life and see how it's been wasted. Get off the fence And put both feet in the things of me and get on your face. Elijah was speaking to the prophets of Baal and to the people around. And and he calls them out and he said it better than I could ever say it. How long will you go on limping between two opinions? God, you're kind of good. Good fire. Baal, kind of good. God's good. Baal's good. No. How long will you stay limping between two opinions, and just get off the fence, fall on your face before God. Well, well, Pastor Brady, could you tell me how to do that? Could I have ten points on how to fall on my face? No. It's not that hard. It's very costly. It, It may feel embarrassing. It's hard to keep your dignity when you fall on your face. But God... When I care more about being single-minded for you than keeping my dignity, there's some exciting things that are going to happen. Not because you're passing some kind of litmus test that God is checking off in heaven. He says, get stockpiled up in heaven. Get stockpiled in the eternal things and sidestep the temporary. 
as we pray today, I don't feel real impressed to call you to come forward. If, if God's telling you to do that, then by all means, you obey God. Don't listen to me. But, but I'm not going to ask you to do that today. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I would like to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And if that freaks you out, you don't like doing that, then just look at your shoes. I'm just wanting you not to look at your neighbor and not to look at me. You see, it's my prayer for you today that you will allow God to ask you these three questions. Where is your treasure? What are you stockpiling? How is your vision? What are you focused in on? And who are you serving? There's no co-masters. And this is not God wanting to get after you and make you feel unnecessary guilt. He's saying, I love you so much. Just something doesn't look right in the room of your life. And let, let's just fix it. Let's just get back on track. Father, I thank you for these, my friends. And I pray today that you will speak to them in a very clear way. God, you are are the focus of our worship this morning. We gather for you and because of you, and, and you have shown up. And I believe, God, that you have spoken to our hearts today. So I pray that like a neon sign flashing in the mind of my brother and sister, I pray that you'll draw attention to the area that you want to speak to. God, I confess today it's not some kind of spooky thing that I know what they're facing. I don't. If you tell me, I would, I would say it. I don't know what they're facing, but you know everything that they're facing. And God, I pray today that they will fall on their face before you. Thank you, God, for how you're stretching us. You're chiseling away at us. You're molding and making us into the men and women that you've called us to be. And on this holiday weekend, God, I pray that you'll not just bless my friends with time with family. You'll not just bless them with rest from work. But God, I pray that you will flood their heart with a sense and a draw to stockpile you this weekend. To spend time fixated, training their eyes to see you this weekend. God, I pray that they will get on their face and at all costs humble themselves before you. Because you are so worth it. And the world is not. I ask these things today, God, in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.